in the day cuando era un niño. Someone in the crowd might have looked at me fail. With an evil eye, abuela called it ojo. Reached in the fridge and took out a huevo. Sign of the cross with the egg as a remedy. Rub it on my body to remove the bad energy. Pray out loud so we can all hear it. Egg underneath the bed to absorb the evil spirits. The wind blew, the house shook. I laid back with candles, the rosary, and the sage plant. Sana, sana, fix vapor up on my chest. Fell asleep and woke up in a puddle of sweat. Felt better after shaking the omen. Zoning, floating on the earth that I'm roaming. In the Americas, some call it folklore. I'm well, I broke the egg, now I'm free from all And bloodlines to the test When one is jealous of another success Family, friends, associates, and neighbors Can all result to bevel when chasing after paper Friends and enemies Good and bad energy, mal de ojo Affecting culture, psychology Bad vibes can damage you and your circle Wrong intentions from so-called friends can hurt you Watch the life you're living Keep them at a distance They'd rather see you missing than healthy and uplifted So you get this chance in this life to make a difference That's around you will affect conditions. Living space positive. How I live, yes, I try to. Whether stormy, gray day or outside, sky blue. Work through the pain from the out and the inside. Embrace the joy and avoid the evil eye. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over.
upon styles upon styles, I got several. Born to be wild, cause I live like a dead devil. Live it up, hit him up, that's a scenario. Tupac, I get around like a merry go rooftop. I am on top of the pedestal, flu shot. I am so sick, I need medical. I learned that down in Mexico. The rhythm, the rebel. New and improve, I'll be on a new level. That's how we do it, we build it like Lego. Feel on our fire, you're dealing with fuego. Can't stop. I am addicted, I never quit. Won't stop. Don't need to speak to no therapist. Don't stop. Keeping it moving is the narrative. Don't stop. Do it like whoop, there it is. Latino Politics and News. I'm Tony Diaz. We're recording remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, May 12, 2020. Today, we're focusing on the traditional Latino topics of oil and COVID-19. Of course, immigration is an issue important to our community, so candidates must be well-versed on that. But if they focus on only immigration when it comes to us, they are hispandering and no hispandering is allowed on this show. Instead, we have two Latinos who are taking on countywide and statewide issue. COVID-19 is a Latino issue. At the top of the show, we talked to newly appointed COVID-19 relief czar for Harris County, Texas, State Representative Armando Wally. Texas Railroad Commission usually flies under the radar. On Tuesday, May 5th, the commission rejected statewide production cuts. And yes, that is a Latino issue. On the second half of the show, Roberto Alonso, candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission, tells us what that means and how the commission can serve our community. In news, nationally, journalist Alfredo Corchado wrote a poignant op-ed in the New York Times titled, A Former Farm Worker on American Hypocrisy in the Pandemic, Illegal workers are now deemed essential by the federal government. The essay reads, the best way to guarantee food security in the future is to legalize the current workers in order to keep them here and to offer a pathway to legalization as an incentive for new agricultural workers to come. Those people will be drawn not just from Mexico, but increasingly from Central and South America. This piece powerfully displays how the COVID-19 pandemic and relief efforts have revealed the double standards and hypocrisy of the Trump administration's treatment of the undocumented community and Latinos. In language news, and on the same note, I want to remind folks that metaphors are forced confessions. Use of the term illegal alien instead of undocumented reveals bias. The Texas Supreme Court ruled that the term could not be used in courts because it was biased. Some folks point to the use of the term illegal by immigration officials as an example that it is legitimate. I would remind those folks that governmental institutions once also coined terms and used language to facilitate the owning and selling of slaves. Modern language guides for professional associations have institutionalized preference of the term undocumented instead of illegal. Don't be biased. Thanks to our crew, Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes this show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, Lauri Flores, Stefano Quevasa, El Castillo. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. for Latino Politics and News here on 90.1 FM KPFT. That's followed by Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say at 6 p.m. And I also get to see you on the political talk show, What's Your Point? 26 Houston, Sundays at 7 a.m. This is Tony Diaz for Latino Politics and News. Ponga, rompe la carretera. Muévelo, 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 muévelo. Qué falta de respeto, mami. ¿Cómo te atreves a venir sin.? 
Hoy salí de puesta pa' mí. Yo ni pensaba que venía a dormir, no. Vino redilla, puesta pa' una semilla. Me chupan la Lori Pop, solita se arrodilla. ¿Cómo te atreves, mami? A venir. Mira, lo DJ Olma. ¿Qué tú te crees? Yo hago lo que me da la gana. Y se lo conejo. Hoy se bebe, hoy se gasta, hoy se fuma como un rata, si Dios lo permite. Si Dios lo permite. Si Dios lo permite. Hoy se bebe, hoy se gasta, hoy se fuma como un rata, si Dios lo permite. Si Dios lo permite. Orientando las generaciones nuevas por la verdadera. Si Dios lo permite, si Dios lo permite, yeah, yeah. hoy se bebe, hoy se gasta, hoy se fuma como un rata, si Dios lo permite, si Dios lo permite. Mami, ¿qué tú quieres? Aquí llegó tu tiburón, yo quiero pelearte y fumarme un blanco. Latino politics and news. This is Tony Diaz. And today we're talking to Texas State Representative Armando Wally, who was just named the Harris County COVID-19 recovery czar, which is exciting because he's from the community and he grew up, went to school, and he still lives in Aldine. Now he's going to be helping all of us get back on track. One of the quotes that he gave right after being named to this position in the aftermath of a crisis we always come together and become stronger than before this definitely is a platform that will get national attention and pave the way for others armando wally is serving his sixth term in the texas house of representatives he was first elected in 2008 
His district, which is District 140, consists of portions of North Houston and unincorporated portions of North Harris County, which plays a big role in how he be making sure that we all get the relief we deserve. His districts include parts of the Northside and Alden communities where he grew up, graduated from MacArthur High School, while he was raised by a single mother, is the oldest of five children, was the first in his family to attend and graduate from college, and he's a great example of the power of Mexican-American studies, and he's also an advocate for Mexican-American studies. He's a member of the House Committee on Appropriations, serving as vice chair of the Appropriations Subcommittee on Article Three, Public and Higher Education, which is vital to our community, and as a member of the Appropriations Subcommittee on State Infrastructure, Resiliency, and investment. He's also sought to broaden access to health care by providing more resources to and protecting the state's women's health program. He's also a member of a number of legislative caucuses, including the Mexican-American Legislative Caucus, for which he serves on as the board and treasurer. And they've always come to our aid when we're lobbying for Mexican-American studies. So I want to welcome you to the show congratulate you and ask you, how are you getting through this COVID-19 lockdown right now as your tenure begins as the COVID czar? Thanks, Tony, for the opportunity. So just to kind of reiterate the, the, the background, the, the setup, one of the things that we're trying to do is is to protect vulnerable communities, the, the undocumented, the elderly, medically fragile folks, because you have a county that's pushing 5 million people, a region that's over 6 million people, when you think about Houston, Houston comprises of, of a lot of areas, right? So you also have to think about Fort Bend County, Montgomery County, Brazoria County, Galveston County to the south. So we're much more of a region in itself. We're a big economic driver for the state of Texas, but also for the country, right? I didn't go uh, looking for the job. I was at home homeschooling the boys, two boys, nine and six. I was tending to the needs of my district. That It's a large immigrant population. It's probably... 90% Hispanic and black. I guess if you take 610 North, take that all the way up to about Bellway 8, just south of Greens Point Mall, and roughly uh, 45 and 59 to the west and 59 to the east is roughly my district. So so you talk about the city of Houston. The city of Houston is about 2 million people, a little over 2 million people within the city of Houston limits. And then when you talk about people that live in unincorporated Harris County, where there there's no city services, their municipal government, in essence, is the county. And so we have about 2 million people that live in unincorporated Harris County. It's something that we're taking very seriously. My counterpart at, at the city is Marvin Odom. He's a former CEO of Shell. You know, obviously, we, we come from different backgrounds, but we do share a love for Houston. And we're working very, very well together and trying to figure out how to respond to vulnerable communities. And that's that's kind of what we've been focusing on right now. And But to answer your question directly, it's a very serious job. Right now, listening to our medical experts, we're blessed to have a medical center in Houston that have given us some good sound advice, have given the county judge and the mayor sound advice. Part of the role is, is to provide counsel. We are in a role that uh, is, is, is unprecedented. In our lifetime, having gone through this serious of a pandemic, uh, we're, we're putting all the brain power that we can in reaching out to all all sectors of the community, faith-based communities, you know, businesses, uh, along with businesses, but small businesses, right? Because you have a lot of small mom-and-pop taquerias, small mom-and-pop, you know, carnicerias and, and bakeries. And you have the folks that work in those industries. You know, the restaurant industry is taking a huge hit right now. We have to be inclusive. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. There's a lot of terrain to cover. I'd like to compare parts of Harris County that are unincorporated as analogous to the residents of Harris County who are undocumented. We'll touch on both, but let's start with unincorporated. I'd really like to bring that home because you're one of the folks that are right in the middle. You're, you're right on the terrain that overlaps with the city of Houston. Give our listeners a better idea of what it means if parts of Harris County, and let's talk about Aldine, are unincorporated. And how is that different than how the city is governed? Simply put, so if you're incorporated like, you know, a large city, huge city, uh, like the city of Houston, 
you have basic city services, right? I mean, obviously, you've got to pay taxes within that jurisdiction, right? It's what they call a home rule city. The city has ordinance making ability, right? So the city of Houston budget comprised mostly of public service, uh, salaries to police and fire. So your public safety is, is number one in the city, right? So police and fire, solid waste are probably your three drivers and the municipal workers are, th are your three, three to four drivers of a city budget. But if you live in the city of Houston, if you call for an emergency within the city limits, HPD is going to show up. If you call for a fire uh, within the city limits, HFD is going to show up. If you need EMT service, Houston Fire Department EMT is going to show up. If you have water service, the city of Houston is your water company. If you have a sewer service, the city of Houston is your service. Trash pickup, the city of Houston Solid Waste is picking up your trash. That That's within a city limits. Those of us that live in unincorporated Harris County do not have that. So if we call 911, Harris County Sheriff's Department is going to show up. So the Harris County deputies will show up. There, there are law enforcement agencies. So if we call for a sewer line backup, well, it, that depends. It depends if you live in the mud, which, which is a municipal utility district that's uh, chartered by the state of Texas, or you live what they call an uh, investor-owned utility, where a private water company basically has a monopoly for the water service in your particular neighborhood, or you live in a community that, that doesn't have a mud or an IOU, investor-owned utility, and you're on septic tanks and you're on uh, water wells. So you're not calling anybody. You're the one that's you know, maintaining your water well and your septic tank at, at your own expense. If you call a fire department, you either are governed by a, a volunteer fire department, usually, or what they call an emergency services district, right? You have several of those that are sanctioned by the state that also tax, they're to tax an entity. You know, there's, I think there's somebody, some country singer that talks about flyover states. We consider ourselves the flyover part of the county. People go through our, our community to get somewhere else. I believe we are we, we are destined to be a destination community, right? So our municipal government is the Harris County Commissioner's Court. And Harris County Commissioner's Court is comprised of four county commissioners and one county judge. And so the challenge for us that live in unincorporated Harris County is Harris County doesn't have ordinance bacon ability like the city does. So if the city says, hey, they want to respond to communities like the mayor rightfully does with, with uh, this, this initiative on secure or on, uh, complete communities, we don't have that you know, similar ability in the county. Counties can only do what the state of Texas allows them to do or not do. So if you want the county to control noise, control animals or quality of life issue in your community, you kind of have to go to the legislature pass a bill, which is hard to do, to give your county the ability to do what it needs to do to respond to constituent needs. So it's, it's, I have to explain it in those terms so that people get an understanding of what it means to live in unincorporated Harris County, because it's, to put it in simple terms, it's kind of, no, I don't want to say no man's land, but it's a very uh, lax regulations out in the county. You're poised to be a very good translator for that part of our community. And it helps that you're a lawyer. So I'm glad you got your legal license and you studied Mexican-American studies because you're going to need all that. I'd like to draw a comparison to helping undocumented residents of Harris County because I have to say, it seems that at the national level, there's been some scapegoating of immigrants in the undocumented community that locally we've had to overcome it also seems that we're talking about people who work with everyone else, family members that may be from mixed status families. It sounds clear cut, but it's really not. Tell us a little bit about how the issues of mixed immigration status families play a role in COVID-19 relief. How do I answer that? I come from a mixed status family, right? So. It's very personal for me. I know it's a personal for a lot of uh, members, uh, but for me, I'll speak for myself. My dad came over from Mexico, married my mom at a young age. He was able to adjust, I think, back in the 80s. My mom's a U.S. citizen, right? And uh, she's third, fourth, probably fifth generation Texan. And so we're a mixed family. It's a very touchy subject for many of us, and it's very emotional, and it's, and it's very, very personal for us because when folks go around attacking undocumented communities or just immigrant communities in general. We take that personal. We took that personal when the legislature tried to pass SB4, and they were successful. It got very emotional that it almost brought 
folks to a, a brawl on the last day of session, a couple of sessions ago in 2017. For us, it's very, it's very, very emotional. But we also have to be very diligent in making sure that we continue to push the envelope that undocumented folk, whether they're documented or otherwise, vast majority of them, vast majority of folks that are here with status or not or no status are contributing to the economy of the state of Texas, but also to the United States of America. I think anybody that wants to argue with me or anybody else about that comment, there's no gray area in that because a lot of undocumented folks are working in fields, working in occupations where they're actually contributing, where they're actually providing a safety net for a lot of Americans, right? Uh, you see that on a daily basis when you see a lot of the social media about United Farm Workers and all the farm workers that are working, documented or otherwise, right? Working, picking the fruits that we need to eat. I would consider them essential workers, but they're not getting the protections that others are getting. I think if you start from that perspective, it's hypocritical to say that undocumented folks are takers in this equation when in actuality it's proven that they're actually contributing more in their in taxes to state and local economies than they are uh, receiving. Let's put a simple framework here. When somebody that is documented or otherwise goes to the grocery store, do you think that the cashier is going to check the status of that person and ask them if they're undocumented or not? Probably not, right? Are they going to pay a sales tax to the goods that they're buying at the grocery store? Absolutely. All that sales tax goes into a state and local government coffers. Do you think when that person, documented or otherwise, pays rent to a landlord, that that landlord is not passing on their tax portion to the renter? Absolutely they are, to be able to pay the taxes on that property. And to circle it back to COVID and the response, I take the view that in this capacity, through the lens of the most vulnerable, that means somebody that might be undocumented, somebody that, that would be fragile, medically fragile, somebody that would be elderly. From a moral perspective, we can't be the safety net for those vulnerable populations, I think it would be a travesty. And so many of us are obviously pushing to be able to get some type of relief to folks that are undocumented or documented because we already know at the national level some families that are mixed families right now are being prohibited from seeking aid or any kind of relief because maybe one spouse is documented or not it just makes no sense and i think most americans believe that i'm really glad you bring that sensibility to the table because that really is a great way to put harris county first unite us we can survive and then thrive on the other side let me ask you this last question uh, I want to tell our listeners, we're actually taping this on May 4th. It will air on May 12th. And I bring that up because between now and then, <laughs> a lot can change as has been the case up to now. Having said that, one, we want to invite you back to the show to give us updates or if you need to get the word out or educate the community. But close us up by giving us an idea of how you're going to proceed because it really is touchy because we don't know exactly which way to go at the federal level you've got every state has its own rules and in texas it sounds like 254 counties have their own rules so tell us what a few initial steps will be and what it looks like in the near future for you as the covid 19 czar for harris county one of the things i think we've done uh mr odom marvin odom and i have done is listen to a lot of the experts at, at the texas medical center you know, a lot of it is listening, right? One of the things you have to do is listen to folks, listen to what, what the needs are. We've made some initial assessments, obviously food distribution. The Houston Food Bank is doing a lot of good work. And let me just say this, the city and the county have been working on this prior to Mr. Odom and I being appointed, right? So I do got to give credit to Commissioner's Court, City Council, the county judge, and the mayor for working together on, on these issues. Part of the role, obviously, is to try to harness all of those initiatives and put it kind of in a, in a one-stop shop and to supplement, not supplant, but supplement a lot of the good work that's already been doing, right? So for instance, the, but prior to, to the appointments, the city and the county worked together on child care for essential workers. That was the city and county initiative where they work with Collaborative for Children for those employees that were going back to work that needed child care and that were considered essential workers. The city and the county uh, were able to work with, the I think as the Workforce Commission, to try to pay for childcare for that. 
uh, that's one example, right? Another example right now is the county, I think, is real close or have, are already close to providing $50 million to a relief fund. The city, I think I heard from the mayor as well, they're, they're looking at some type of similar relief fund to work with a lot of these vulnerable populations so that, you know, you can have a rent relief, utility relief. The county already has a similar program internally, but obviously they don't have the capacity to do this type of work, particularly rent and utility relief on, on a large scale like we have now, where we have thousands and thousands of workers that are that are out of work. You know, you had over a million people that have, have applied to unemployment insurance. And, and mind you, those those are the first millions that actually were able to get through, right, let alone the folks that are still waiting to get on. So I think that to directly answer the question, that the, the first order of business were, were one, listening to folks, uh, developing a strategy to how to respond to the needs, whether it's child care, whether it's food insecurity, testing and contact tracing. Those are very new term for many of us. We're leaving a lot of that testing, contact tracing, a lot of the medical components, obviously to the medical experts. They're the ones that are developing these plans and these hiring up to do the contact tracing once folks are tested, but also to place testing sites in in where the need is great. I think that's that's an initiative that the city and the county are, have been working on bef- even before we were we were on board. I think is is just listening, creating a strategy to how to respond to the to the needs that that we kind of have an idea intuitively where, where the needs are, um, and then tackling those with the full force of Harris County and the city of Houston. And they've by and large have worked very well together. Marvin Odom and I work very well together. Uh, I think I, I mentioned earlier we we could not be totally different backgrounds, but we both have a love for Houston, and we both have a love, have a duty, and, a, and we're working hard to make sure we, we bring people together. We've been chatting with Texas State Representative Armando Wally, who was just named to run the Harris County COVID-19 relief. He is the COVID-19 czar, and I want to thank him for his public service and always representing the community. Thank you, Armando. Ella por el día una se disfraza para esconder su identidad o tiene lo que quiere sin necesidad alguna con esa carita y ese cuerpo tan sensual. Y se transforma cuando cae la luna. Si no la conoces bien te puede enamorar. El flow de ella no lo tiene ninguna. Siempre llama la atención donde la ven llegar. Yo 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 che. Ella es como la luna solamente sale de no che. Hoy se puso bonita, se hizo las uñas y el pelo Estrenó el outfit nuevo Ella se acuesta con quien quiera Pero no cualquiera puede ser su jevo Muchos la conocen, poco la Y eso es lo más que me corre de ella es que no ha corrido Tiene a todos los machos su Instagram metido Viendo los videos que ha subido Moviendo la después viral Todo es natural, sin nada que envidiar Llama la atención de solo llegar y sin peliculiar, le gusta lo real. Cuando hablan de ella, todo el mundo en la boca se pone un pestillo porque nadie tiene un veneno de ella en el corillo. Ella es nocturna, sale de noche, y es que yo la pillo un cabeza en la más buscada, flow amado, carrillo. como los fantasmas y que de noche no se ven, jugando un juego que ya yo me sé. Y no se cae causa, sin antes echarme media pa' la trepa si me siente la lupa. Ella más, dice que le encanta. Nadie habla contigo una santa Dice que casi ni fuma Solo lo hace con su amiga Está conmigo y prendiendo se levanta Yo sé Ella es como la luna Solamente sale de noche Hoy se puso bonita Se hizo la uña y el pelo Estrenó el outfit nuevo Ella se acuesta con quien quiera Pero no cualquiera puede ser su dueño Y se menea, cada vez que yo la veo parece una chimenea fumetea, bella que ya no todo el mundo la tratea, así que suéltate, pégate con mi cuerpo, suéltate, no me hagas perder el tiempo. Y donde quiera que ella vaya resalta, se ve que fina tiene la autoestima alta, no quiere relaciones, se debo, debo porque ya no le hace falta. Y todo el mundo la quiere, pero ella dice 
que se queda sola Peligrosa como una pistola Y por ningún hombre ella llora Yeah Alca me dijo que era la misma Susana, que era sana, que era tranquilita y reservada. Conmigo es lo contrario, malvada. Me piden que las piernas le... Uno la llaman diabla y otro diosa. Tú la invitaste a fumar y dijo que no hacía esas cosas. Pero conmigo quemó una onza. Ella tiene mil envidiosas, pero es porque está bien poderosa. La otra no puede medir fuerza. Hasta las mujeres saben que está buena. Su carita engaña, pero es bien perversa. Te dijo que no, que ella no era así, pero conmigo sí, bella. Muchos le escriben, pero pichea. Dice que la que puede frontea. Me llama después de que hangue a la hora que sea. Yo, 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 che. Ella es como la luna, solamente sale de no. Che, hoy se puso bonita, se hizo las uñas y el pelo. Estrenó el outfit nuevo. Ella se acuesta con quien quiera, pero no cualquiera puede ser su jevo. Thank you for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. Today on the radio show, we're talking to Roberto Alonso, who is a candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. He is going to be presiding over a seat that, in my humble opinion, is not always thought about, but has just made news because the Railroad Commission of Texas voted against mandatory oil production cuts which has become a big deal with the current state of the price of oil, as well as COVID shutdown crises. He is in a runoff election July 14th. Early voting starts July 6th. His opponent for the Democratic side of that ticket is Krista Castaneda. The winner from that will go on to the general election. James Wright is the Republican candidate. He defeated the incumbent in a runoff. This is a seat that's not often heard of, but becomes news all of a sudden. That's why every single election matters. We know Roberto from our work fighting for ethnic studies and Mexican American studies at the state and national levels. He supported Mexican American studies and education throughout his career. He has been a state representative. He's a lawyer. He studied political science at UT. And hey, he's from Crystal City, where, where Moving Mentos started. Want to welcome Roberto Alonso to our show. Roberto, how are you doing? And tell us a little bit about how you're handling this COVID-19 crisis. Well, I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be on your program. Uh, just like all of us, our biggest concern is the coronavirus. <laughs> As I think about it, I think of everybody that's on the front line, of course, uh, the nurses, you know, the folks in the grocery stores, people that do face-to-face activities with uh, people on a daily basis. Uh, it's a real big concern and equally as concerned as we all are, how it affects our family. I got numerous, you know, relatives, you know, both my wife's side and my side that are at the front line where there's nurses, where it's at the HEB, the grocery stores, the the buck, you know, just all, all locations. So when you think about frontline people, you think about people in general, but you know, you know, it affects your family. And of course, you know, it affects, uh, people that, that are, are mostly affected, uh, people that have preconditions. So at, at that level, it's a big concern. At another level, of course, you know, on the immediate family, we also take care of ourselves, making sure we have our mask and as we move around and, um, Stuck at home, uh, doing a lot of communication from the house as we are doing right now, but it's not over. We adapt. Uh, as I think about this, I think about uh, growing up as a farm worker where uh, we had to leave in April, come back in October. And wherever we went, we, we had to adapt. Sometimes we lived in one, uh, one room with 13 of us. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, we lived as a group and then we traveled and we took uh, uh, you know, it, it, as uh, Tomas Rivera said, uh, our, our community farm workers, you know, took on dangerous situation by traveling, by being without insurance. So, but we adapted and God willing to help the family and many, many friends. I was able to get an education. Uh, go to, as you mentioned, UTTSU lost quite spent three years there in Houston, uh, became a state representative and a lawyer. So here we are. 
And as I say, we adapt. We got to deal with the circumstances and go forward. Well, I appreciate that historical perspective. And you make a good point. Our community is used to upheaval and being forced to adapt. I guess everyone's in the same position now. You mentioned the front lines. Typically, in my humble estimation, the Railroad Commission in Texas is not always perceived as being in the front lines, but it is making major news right now because the three-person commission voted against mandatory oil production cuts. I'd like for you to give us insight into what that means. There's a glut, a ton of oil out there in the world as as, uh, uh you know, the Middle East has their share of oil, and now we have it. And it got even a bigger situation with the coronavirus. Why? Because nobody's traveling. In fact, you see the price of gas going down because, and, you know, at the gas station and the price of, of per barrel, even at the minus level. Uh, but I'll tell you this, uh, I think that was a negative move uh, on, on part of the Railroad Commission. Because, you know, people, uh, including the oil and gas business, should understand they need to cut back on their own. But the reason you have government and you have the railroad commission, because if you're not going to do it, you know, it's, it's without being a, without preaching, you want to God what is God and Caesar what is Caesar. What is, what is Caesar? The government. If you don't know how to handle your situation, that's where the government comes in. So what that means, uh, the cutting back on, on, on oil production, it's telling oil and gas, look, there's no need for more oil. Uh, there's plenty of oil. You need to come back. They could have done it on their own. And, in fact, those were the comments that they made. The big oil comp- uh, company said, we can do it on our own. Well, you're not doing it. You're not saying it. we got to take a position. And the good thing of the vote uh, was it was a two-to-one vote, which means there's discussion going on. We're paying attention. Uh, and as you said, we never really paid attention to the railroad commission. And we are now, and I'll tell you why we're paying attention. We're paying attention because of Beto. Why? Uh, Beto created the opportunity to let us know in Texas that Texas is not a Republican state. It's a swing state. It's a battleground state. He came within three points of winning, and a whole bunch of other candidates came within a few points of winning. So now that we have this opportunity to win, we're running candidates for president here in Texas and being a battleground state for the U.S. Senate for all the Supreme Court uh, races and that are up and the Court of Criminal Appeals. And and that's why we're in it. We're in it. We're in it to win. We can win. And we're going to win. And this is yet another reason that elections matter. This decision is going to have repercussions. I do want to let our listeners know that we started chatting with Roberto on Cinco de Mayo Tuesday, not just because it was Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> because that's when this decision was made by the Railroad Commission of Texas. This will air May 12th. I bring it up just in case something else happens in the middle of that. I want to make it clear that this is going to have ongoing repercussions. If you win this election, again, I want to remind folks, there is a runoff July 14th across Texas. Early voting starts July 6th. The general election will be November 3rd. We don't think of that seat as serving Latinos. I don't. How how would that be important? The, the whole thing of having Latinos on an elected position is to get a perspective, whether it's Mexican American studies, whether it's education, whether it's health, you name it. Of course, we're part of the story. We're part of the story, the ones that purchase the gas. We're part of the story because we work for uh, oil and gas companies. We're part of the story because we are the ones that, that, that make the oil and gas case, uh, uh, folks happen. We're part of the story because we pay taxes. We're part of the story. We just never uh, talked about it for many years. Uh, I can tell you, I first started hearing about the Railroad Commission when a candidate for the Rasunida Party ran in the 70s. Uh, so, you know, it, it, uh, since then, I know the name, and through the years, I kept an eye. In fact, personally, aside from being involved in some other issues, I was also involved in the legislature of trying to change the name of the Railroad Commission from Railroad Commission to Oil and Gas. Because this commission has nothing to do with railroad, with railroads. It has to do with oil and gas. So, of course, we're part of the story. We're getting close to be 50% of the population in Texas. So the railroad commission has to do with 50% Latino population. The name does bug me because it is deceptive. It should be more accurate so that people do pay more attention to it. Maybe after this incident, 
people will. Tell us a little bit more about your platform. Well, the the big thing is, is climate. Uh, I you know I seriously, strongly got you know enthusiastic about the railroad commission, and I'll tell you what you know hit the 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 the, the nail on the head was uh, during the last few months on Netflix I watched the two popes. And the, as they're in the movie, as they're talking about what to do and what they think, what their philosophies are and what changes are occurring, one of the popes says, the Bible says, again, I'm not preaching. I just use it as a comparison, right? The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And the pope says, that's what, that's how we connect climate. We got to take care of the environment. We got to take care of people because we don't, we're hurting our people. So my biggest thing is the environment, is climate. Similarly concerned is making sure that the workers are protected. We're seeing across the state on COVID and coronavirus how a lot of the problems have been. We have not had the adequate equipment for uh, uh, the workers, where there's a meat plants, the grocery stores. There's no reason we should not have, we should not be protecting our workers. And in fact, it's encouraging the, the workers to organize and defend themselves and speak up. And, uh, you know, uh, transitioning that or bridging that, that's why, uh, the, uh, AFL-CIO, 240,000 workers endorsed me, 240,000 to zero. Cause in my 20 years in the legislature, the number one guy for labor was Roberto Alonso, the number one guy that talked about wages and, and benefits and pensions with Roberto Alonso, so much so that they recommended me nationally, and I became the national president of all the labor legislators in the country. So again, my two main concerns are the environment, climate, and workers. We got to make sure to take care of the workers. And I understand, you know, the companies need to make money. The companies need to work on on their situation. But I can tell you this: we got to put. Other than everything on the table, not only do we look at profits, we also look at workers and climate. And through the years, uh, more recently, I can tell you oil and gas companies has gotten a little bit more about listening. And I'll give you the, one of the biggest examples of listening. A few years ago, we had a, a debate on the bathroom bill, of how it was going to affect people that use the bathroom. And we went through a, a, a regular session. It, we didn't, you know, finish it. And then in the special session, all the big oil and gas companies stepped up and said, look, we got to take care of people. People have rights. So just like they stood up uh, uh, on the bathroom bill back then, and that thing was was shelved and, and put to rest, right now, uh, I I say, and I'm, I'm, you know, that oil and gas companies can't step up to the plate and understand our concerns for workers and climate, and, and we hope to get there. We appreciate you sharing those insights. I do want to give folks to a historical background about the work you have done for education and Mexican American studies, stopping bills that would decimate ethnic studies to advocating for Mexican American studies at community colleges. Why you did that, why that's important, and maybe some of those other activities. Well, uh, as you pointed out at the beginning, uh I grew up in Crystal City uh, when the walkouts occurred. I was about 12 years old when the walkout occurred. We were out of school for three weeks. And uh, uh, as a result of that, uh, we we talked about bilingual education and Mexican-American studies and kids going to Mexican-American students going to college and have Mexican-American teachers, Mexican-American principals, Mexican-American superintendents, Mexican-Americans being elected to office. And it kind of ties in with what I'm doing now. You can have ideas. But that's one thing. The bigger thing is the implementation of ideas. How do you implement the ideas? Is by by governing. So we won the walkout, but we didn't win. We won the battle, but we didn't win the war because we had to get people in office to in, implement the victories of the walkout. And back then we did. So I learned from Crystal City that you can win. The sky's the limit. So I was student council president in high school. I was president of student body at UT. I was president of the Chicano Law Student Association there at TSU Law School. I was elected, you know, uh, 10 times, 20 years state representative, a national president of the state legislators in the country, and eight-time national delegate. So in, in, in the reason I say that background is with that skill, that background and knowledge, I was able to put what the Raza Unida, what the Chicano movement wanted. Back then, 1970, we wanted Mexican-American studies, and I, whoa, 
Well, why not do it? So in, in 2003, through uh, my efforts uh, and in a, in a bipartisan fashion, uh, uh, I can tell you Representative Fred Hill, Republican from uh, uh, Richardson, Texas at the time, helped me pass this legislation in a bipartisan fashion. Why? Because I know that if you teach uh, folks their history, they feel proud. They get encouraged, and, you know, it's so beautiful. So I grew up as a farm worker, like I mentioned, but through the Mexican-American studies, I, I I became, you know, more, more than what I was. I was, but I learned who I was. Uh, I can tell you in high school, as I was going through school, before Mexican-American studies, my hero was a guy named Dennis Cole, blonde, blue-eyed, who's a policeman in, in YPD. But then I had Mexican-American studies, and I learned about Cuauhtémoc, that they burned his feet, because he wouldn't tell him where his goal is. I didn't look like Dennis Cole. I looked like Guatemoc. So history, beautiful background, culture. It, you know, I was also uh, chairman of the Chicano Culture Committee at UT Austin, where we talked. We did all kinds of culture programs and art, music, movies, uh, dance. Uh, but you know, as you mentioned, not only Mexican American studies. I also uh, started a in 2003 uh, bilingual education scholarship. Uh, that gives out scholarships uh, to students, and and uh, uh, so they can become teachers because we need close to ten thousand teachers. But and I also worked on pensions for teachers and state employees and and police and firefighters around the state. So a lot of work, like you pointed out. But the background in Crystal City taught me you you feel proud, you know you can do it, and you you learn the skills of working with people because you can't do it alone. Uh, and in addition, you let folks know about history, about background, about governing. So even to this day, uh, we are, we got many, many things to do. And I'm happy to, even to this day, encourage and help with the ideas and the implementation of the ideas. I'd like you to close out by telling our listeners anything we may have overlooked about your background or your platform that you'd like to share with us. In closing, I would say I appreciate your vote. Uh, I'm the most skilled and knowledgeable candidate running for railroad commission. Uh, it, it is a regulatory commission, but when you get there, the, the key word, as I mentioned through our discussion, is governing, is governing, governing. Uh, depending on who you put in office, we got the perspective of the oil and gas companies already there. Uh, my opponent works for an oil and gas company. Uh, I bring to the table uh, a worker's perspective, a climate environment perspective. Uh, I am a lawyer. I have the background. I have the skills, as I pointed out. In addition, I can tell you I have the support. I have the support of all the Texas labor unions, 240,000 to zero. I have the support of the Mexican-American Democrats. I have the support of the Tejano Democrats. I have support of individual elected officials throughout the state. I've been working in the state for years, uh, both at the Democratic Party, at the local level, I, I spent three years uh, living in, in Houston uh, by going to law school, but have tons of friends, lawyers, elected officials, state reps, state senators, congressmen. They're in, in, in the background of, of elected officials. In addition, I have a close working relationship with the African-American politicos, uh, specifically uh, state senator Royce West and uh, state representatives, uh, as well as the Mexican-American and other Democrats around the state. And I got endorsed by a group called the uh, PVL New Era, which is a progressive voters, the, the key group in, in endorsements here in the Dallas area that has tons of relationships with African-American leadership around the state. My condolences, as, as we also mentioned, to uh, Representative Al, Al Edwards, uh, who I serve with, a state representative uh, in the legislature. So I just say I appreciate your vote. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh uh, please vote. Vote for Roberto R. Alonso. When you look at the ballot, it'll say Roberto R. Beto Alonso. And I will say because of Beto, Beto made it happen. Beto encourages. Beto made the numbers get so close. Beto made Texas a battleground state. Was I can say, aside from saying thank you to my family, pues, thank you, Beto. We've been chatting with Roberto Alonso, who is a candidate for Railroad Commission of Texas he is in a July 16th runoff, which will lead up to a November 3rd election. Thank you for calling in. This has been Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz. Thank you, Roberto. We want to thank our crew that's putting this show together. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixed this show remotely. 
Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, Lori Flores, Stefano Cavesa, and Al Castillo. Thanks for tuning in. This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News. You know what spreads faster than any virus? It's fear. And when it comes to fear, you can either forget everything and run. I said, I. Or you can face everything and rise. I believe. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe that. I believe we will face everything and rise. You fall, it's how you get back up and what don't kill us, make us stronger boy. Bet that up, take a swing at us. You better hit hard. Cause when we swing back, it's like oh god. It's time to knuckle up, and fight hard. Now let's all buckle up, and fight hard. Que no buen día, toda tu familia, mi amigo, se parca mandito, vamos, dale duro, te vio. From the bottom, I'm that uncut, real raw. When things get tough, that's when we show up. That's when we show out. That's when we show yo. It's time to knuckle up. Bottom line, no matter what, face everything and rise. Get even more from your KPFT listening experience by checking out our HD2 stream. New and improved, get acquainted with our revamped weekly schedule now at kpft.org. Nationally syndicated favorites like Democracy Now!, Flashpoints, and Rising Up with Sonali remain. Our HD2 schedule now features more local shows throughout the entire day, including a stellar mix of public affairs, music, comedy, and Spanish language programming, created and produced right here at KPFT. Don't miss a second on HD2. Mouse on over to kpft.org or on TuneIn Radio. KPFT, Houston. Aloha. In today's complex world, filled with complicated instructions like do this, turn here, don't staple, fold, spindle, tape, or mutilate, one way, etc., etc., why not take a break from all of this? Not near a seashore or relaxing in a tropical paradise. Well, the surf's up over at kpft.org. So mouse on over to kpft.org.